This is going to be Love Walk number 10, if you can believe it. There's just so much in the book to talk about when it comes to the Love Walk. And again, before I begin today, uh, I, I just want to say I do not know how people miss all of the teaching that comes through the Apostle Paul when it comes to relating to one another and its incredible importance. People just kind of push it away as being non-essential, and I cannot believe that when you actually see what Scripture says about what happens, what doors of darkness are open when you do not keep yourself in the love of God. I mean, it's incredible to me. Like I said, all those years ago, God led me to literally go through the New Testament, I mean, book by book by book by book. And in Romans, like the last time we spoke, you know, we looked at Romans 12, and we saw so much in there, and I'm just to... You know, you see it, um, well, uh, Romans 12, but the thing that got me is Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14, and much of Romans 15 is all about really us learning how to respect one another and how to love one another and, and the difference it makes. And I mean, the Spirit of God is just simply quenched, you know, when we disallow ourselves uh, from walking in what God called His love towards us and love towards one another. So just we, we finished, you know, in Romans 12. I'll just read the last verse, Romans 12, 21. A lot of scripture today, but you've got to go through the book to know the author. Hallelujah. And, of course, Romans 12, 21 said, Do not let yourself be overcome by evil, but overcome and master evil with good. Another place it's talked about it there. It said to live in harmony with one another. But I want to start in Romans 13 now. We're going to go to um, uh, verse uh, eight. We'll start from there. And he says this. Now, please, I really pray for you in the name of Jesus that you will have ears to hear, that this will not just be something that rolls off your back like, okay, it's just a bunch of scripture. Every scripture is God-breathed. It's God's life and breath coming into us, instructing us, it's good for correction. It's good for righteousness, for really having the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have to train yourself to not, uh, again, like I said, just skim stuff and just say, well, that's not as spectacular as what I want to read. I want to see the miracles of, uh, in the book of Acts and what have you. We all want that. But again, you have to keep understanding God looks for character. And remember, like my, one of my mentors, Ed Cole, said, God rewards character, not talent. Did you hear that? God rewards character. And so this is the, a, a crucial aspect of what it means to carry the character of Christ. So anyhow, Romans 13, verse 8. Keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. The only debt we actually have is the debt of love. In other words, we owe people love. Why? Because of what they do for us? No, because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. Keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor. I like the fact that it says who practices, because it takes practice to love sometimes. Who practices loving others has fulfilled the law relating to one's fellow men, meeting all its requirements. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet or have an evil desire. And any other commandment are summed up 
in the single command, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. Well, you, see, I know we started with that a long time, but think about that. That's what I said to rehearse this again. When I saw verses like this where it said, and it says, and it says this in a few other places too, that love fulfills all the commandments. It hit me all those years ago. Well, if I get this one, instead of trying to dig out all of these others, which I mean, you do look into and you, you do your best to comprehend. Do not misunderstand me or misquote me. But if we get this one, this issue of the love of God, if we get this one, it says it fulfills all of the commandments. In other words, when you catch this one, you simply have that restraint to ever break any of the other commandments. Then he says this in verse 10, love does no wrong to one's neighbor. It never hurts anybody. That's God, remember. God is love. It never, never, love never hurts anybody. Therefore, love meets all their requirements and is the fulfilling of the law. Hallelujah. So then he goes on down as he finishes verse 12. He talks about uh, flinging away the works of darkness and putting on the full armor of light living honorably before people. In verse 14, the final verse says, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we're going to start in verse chapter 14, rather. And I, you know, hope you don't get mad, but we're going to read the entire chapter. We'll see how far we can get at least. Now, because again, here's where it really gets down to the nitty gritty as far as I'm concerned. And this is where we begin to discern whether we have maturity that aspect of Christ in us that actually lends itself to being a mature Christian. In other words, not being so easily offended, not being so easily irritated and all this. Now watch what Paul says as he begins to share from this is Romans 14 and 15. It actually goes out elsewhere as well. Listen, Romans 14, verse 1, Amplified Bible. As for the man who is a weak believer... In other words, somebody that just maybe hasn't had the opportunity to know what you know yet. Right? See, we cannot have a haughty, the Bible says, a haughty spirit or an exclusive spirit. So Paul knows this, and he's speaking to this right away. And he says, as for the man who is a weak believer, in other words, younger, listen to what he says. Welcome him into your fellowship, but not to criticize his opinions or pass judgment on his scruples or perplex him with discussions. In other words, see, don't try to overwhelm some new believer with all of your great insight and revelation. Just welcome him. Because again, if there was one word, I've always said this, the hallmark of Christ's ministry to me, to a vast degree, can be consummated in this one word, acceptance. You couldn't be around Jesus and feel rejected. Think about that. You felt accepted, regardless of how much sin was in your life. See, always remember this. He never, he never rejected a sinner. He rejected sin, but not the sinner. And people felt accepted in his presence. Do people feel a sense of acceptance in your presence? See, this is one of the things you wind up asking yourself, because this is what God's looking for. Remember, all real and true ministry proceeds from the spirit of man, not from the great verbal eloquence that you might carry because you're able to speak well. And then he goes on, he says this, verse one, 2, and he begins to share this whole thing. Like I said, I do not know how far we'll get, but that's okay. 
We'll do as many Sundays as we need to. One man's faith, now listen to where he goes here. Verse 2, one man's faith permits him to believe he may eat anything, while a weaker person limits his eating to vegetables. Let not him who eats look down on or despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains criticize and pass judgment on him who eats, for God has accepted and welcomed him. Now, the key to this is where it says one man's faith. See, it's remember, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If your faith, if your faith says to you, you can only eat vegetables, then God accepts that because you're in faith there. The only place he gets upset about things like that is when you make it into a doctrine and try to force it upon others. You know what I mean? Well, you have to, you're not as holy as I am because I have limited myself. I'm a vegetarian. No, that's wrong because that you have literally made it into a doctrine and that's not right because one man's faith, see, God looks for faith. That is, are you in faith about this? One man's faith permits him to eat anything. Another man's faith only allows him to eat vegetables. And watch what goes on and said. It says, let not him who eats look down on him or despise him who abstains. Let not him who abstains criticize and make judgment on him who eats, for God has accepted and welcomed him. In other words, God will welcome either one of, the, of, of us as long as we're in faith. Can you get, imagine the depth of that, even the issue of love? See, God doesn't look, it's, he, doesn't want us, he doesn't love us because we perform well. He loves us because what we do, we do in faith, believing him. Hallelujah. Pray that you hear that. Then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, Who are you to pass judgment on and censor another's household servant? For it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he shall stand and be upheld for the master. The Lord is mighty to support him and make him stand. And again, because why? He's in faith. Then he says this, he uses another illustration. He says, one man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike sacred. Let everyone be fully convinced and satisfied in his own mind. For he who observes the day, observe it, observes it in honor of the Lord. He also who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself, but to the Lord, and none of us dies to himself, but to the Lord. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, you got to hear that, what he's saying. He said, it's all about you being before Almighty God in faith. Again, I pray that you really look into these verses and catch the significance of what Christ is saying through Paul. This thing about not, don't judge people like this. Don't, because they do something a little different from your own personal convictions. Now, if you're honest, you know how easy it is to look at somebody and they don't, quote, unquote, believe just like you do. And so you begin to, eh, you know, you think a little ill of them, or maybe you don't even think ill, but you just kind of, you feel less toward them than you do toward yourself, because after all, I'm far more spiritual. You know what I mean? And see, that is anathema to God. He cannot stand that because he's no respecter of persons. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 9, For Christ died and lived again for this very purpose, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And here he repeats himself again about don't criticize. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? And I mean, you got to keep hearing that. He keeps saying, don't find yourself in the position where you're a critic, where you're everybody's critic. You're critiquing everybody's behavior. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? Or you? why do you look down upon or despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God and acknowledge him to his honor and to his praise. And so each of us shall give an account of himself. So you're not going to give an account of me. You're going to give an account of you. I'm going to give an account of me. <laughs> and so each of us shall give an account of himself, give an answer in reference to judgment to God. Now, watch verse 13. Then let us no more criticize and blame and pass judgment on one another, but rather decide, make a decision. Decide and endeavor never to put a stumbling block or an obstacle or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And again, because uh, you might eat meat and think you can eat anything and somebody else limits their, their uh, eating to vegetables. As simple as that, or esteeming one day more than another. But you see, what Paul's trying to communicate, don't, don't just please catch yourself, because if you're doing that, you're not flowing in the love of God. You're not flowing in the character that is the character of Christ that he's run, wanting us to walk in. Now watch this. He says in verse 14, there's something that's astounding to me that you actually have to be quite careful with. Paul says in verse 14, I know, I know, and am convinced and persuaded as one in the Lord Jesus that nothing, this is scary, that nothing is forbidden as essentially unclean, defiled, and unholy in itself, but nonetheless it is unclean, defiled, and unholy to anyone who thinks it's unclean. My gosh, what a statement for Paul to be able to say that. He's, he's at a place in Christ where he doesn't judge acceptance in Christ by one day or the other or honoring this feast, honoring that feast, or eating this food or not eating this food. I mean, later on, we'll get into the pain where he says, you know, food offered into idols is no big deal because we know that there be no God but our God. So in truth, you know, that food that was offered unto another God wasn't offered unto another God at all because there'd be no other gods. But not all men have this knowledge, he goes on to say. We'll get to that later. But think about this. I know and am convinced and persuaded as one in the Lord Jesus that nothing is forbidden as essentially unclean, defiled, and unholy in itself. But nonetheless, it is unclean, defiled, unholy to anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now watch what he goes in to say here. And here's where we get to the real nitty-gritty of what it means to walk in the grace of God, walk in the love of God. But, verse 15, if your brother is being pained, or his feelings hurt, or if he's being injured by what you eat. In other words, you see, you may have absolute freedom to do such and such. You know what I mean? But others may not have that freedom. For example, I know when I first came over to this nation, 
you know, all those years ago, back in 1983, you know, I came from the custom in America where, you know, ministers just do not drink any alcohol whatsoever. Wine, nothing like that. We don't drink beer, whatever. You know, that's that's the custom and that's the tradition I was brought up in. And after I'd been here a little while, you know, so three or four ministers got together and that had been enjoying some of my teaching. They invited me to dinner at one of their houses. And I walked into the house and sat down. And, of course, they had like four bottles of wine on the table. Hey, which wine would you like, Rod? What have you? And I was confronted with, as it were, my tradition. I was confronted with my convictions and I had the opportunity to go, well, I guess these people maybe aren't as holy as I thought they were. Or is there something in me that's making me, quote unquote, immediately criticize or look down upon them because they have a freedom that at the point I know of now, you know, I do, I do not have. Think about that. See, wine, even we all know the verse Paul said to Timothy, drink a little wine for your infirmities when heavy. It's, it's, it's not, the thing is, when it comes to things like that, it's even like, let's even about wine or alcohol. The issue is your heart always. Indeed, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. But you see, only you know if you're wanting to get a little buzz. Right? You know exactly what I mean. If you want to get that little buzz, but that's something that you have to weigh in your own heart and be very careful with. But watch what he says. Let's don't get sidetracked here. But if your brother is being pained or his feelings hurt, or if he's being injured by what you eat or what you allow yourself, then listen to what he flat out says, then you are no longer walking in love. You have ceased to be living and conducting yourself by the standard of love toward him that we're called to live to. Do not let what you hurt, now this is heavy, do not let what you hurt cause the ruin cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. Now, it's going to say this in another place, too. And what the critical truth about this is, it says that your freedom, you trying to maybe force your freedom on somebody else, can actually, the word is where we get apostatized. It actually means you can actually, by trying to be so in your name, I'm free to do anything I want. To the point where I'm going to actually hurt somebody else because of where their conviction lies. It says that that can go to such a degree that you can cause that person to apostatize. That means deny the faith. That means wind up going to hell. All because I want to exert my great knowledge and my freedom, my revelation on them. Now, if somebody wants to learn, you understand, that's another thing. If you're trying to teach them and help them to grow and understand how great the grace of God is. But the point is, see, the weak believer, welcome the weak believer. Not everybody, everybody's at a different level. I was sharing with some friends last night, you know, something God taught me years ago. And we went to school in America, you know, if I don't know what it was like here, but you know, we could tell, like when I was in high school, I could tell somebody that was in the previous year that I had already been in because of the books they carried. Do you know what I mean? In other words, I could see, oh, they're they're sophomores, they're in, or they're in the tenth grade. You know, I'm in the eleventh grade, but I can tell they're in the tenth grade. And now, what happens when you do that? You can automatically there's something in you goes, <laughs> I can. I mean, and hopefully it doesn't. But you know, you can kind of, yeah, I remember when I was learning that stuff. But you know, I'm a, I'm older than that now. I'm beyond that. And here, here again, see, it's so it's so 
tiny the way Satan works. He can take that and give you just a bit of air of superiority just because, you know. See, when you were in 10th grade, you didn't even know the books that 11th grade existed yet. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? You hadn't been exposed to it yet. And the Lord told me and dealt with me way back when about that. And he said, you know how I've said in the word, I'm going to take you from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. He said, you see, you might be in faith three right now. Let's say you're in faith level three. He says, if you are, then you can really notice who's in faith level two. In other words, you're looking, you go, oh, yeah, I remember when I, I believed like that. I remember when I had the same thoughts. And he said, you have a choice when that happens. You can either look at them and go, huh, I'm, you know, I know a little bit more than they do. I'm a little bit more spiritually mature than they are because of what I know now. Or you can realize, you can look at them and say, oh, yeah, I remember when I believed like that. And you can help and aid your brother. But the thing is, when you were in faith two, you didn't even know faith three existed. And so what you have to do is God said then back to me, he said, just wonder, just understand this. There are people that are in faith four around you right now that are looking at you saying, hmm, yeah, I remember when I used to believe that because now they have a little more understanding than you presently do. Do you catch that? See, it's not about who knows more. It's not about who has more. It's not about any of that. It's about the character of Christ. This, I pray that you catch this. It's about this something that just comes out of your spirit where you accept people, whatever level they're at. It makes no difference. Like I said, and Paul just go beats on this thing, goes in the next chapter too. And he says again in verse 16, Do not therefore let what seems good to you be considered an evil thing by someone else. In other words, do not give occasion for others to criticize that which is justifiable for you. And I see the responsibility that he's laying on us. It's justifiable for me to do this. I can eat steak every day if I want to. But others might think otherwise. And he says, don't give them an occasion. Do not give occasion. Do not give occasion for others to criticize that which is acceptable to you, justifiable for you. After all, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting the food and drink one likes, but instead it is righteousness, that state which makes a person acceptable to God in heart, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in this way is acceptable and pleasing to God and approved by men. Hallelujah. So do you really catch what Paul's trying to do? He said, none of that stuff, all these little bitty things that you think, you know, elevate you above somebody else or diminish you in front of somebody else. He said, that's not the issue at all. He said, understand the kingdom of God isn't made up of that stuff. It's made of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. And then he says in verse 18, again, he who serves Christ in this way is acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, and approved by man. But now watch what he goes on to say in verse 19. So let us then definitely aim, you know, take carefully. So then let us then definitely aim for and eagerly pursue what makes for harmony. Eagerly pursue what makes for harmony. And we all know Psalm 133 talks about the Living, you know, blessed are those, the unity, that unity is like the oil that ran down the beard of Aaron. In other words, unity produces the atmosphere for the anointings. So, of course, we all know hell's job is to divide and conquer. 
And of course, again, you got to catch this. He does it with the little things. Remember, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. These little areas where we just kind of look at somebody and go, <laughs> you know, that little bit of something in you that just kind of looks down on them. See, you've got to rid yourself of that. And you can, again, because the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. So watch this again. Like I said, you can teach this stuff forever. So let us then definitely aim for and eagerly pursue what makes for harmony and for mutual upbuilding, edification, and development of one another. And then he hits it strong again with the statement about the possibility of apostatizing. You must not, this is verse 20, you must not, and the language is so strong there, you must not for the sake of food, in other words, because you can eat anything and another guy limits himself to vegetables, and this becomes a real issue. You must not, for the sake of food, undo. Listen to what he says can happen. You must not, for the sake of food, undo and break down and destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed ceremonially clean and pure, but it is wrong for anyone to hurt the conscience of others or to make them fall by what he eats. Do you catch what he's saying? See, you've got to see this in a thousand different areas and realms. You can make somebody fall by what you call your freedom that you bless God are going to have no matter what anyone else thinks. Like I know some ministers, they enjoy a good cigar. Now for me, I never smoked in my life, except well before I saved. You know, sadly I have smoked that weird stuff. <laughs> but see, I watched my dad smoke to the point that he got emphysema and it wound up being one of the issues that wound up killing him, you know, that he died from. So I never really cared about smoking whatsoever. But so when I saw and I was around a couple of very, very big name, you know, ministers, and I saw that they were sitting down and enjoying a cigar, I, you know, I kind of just, well, okay, I pulled back a bit. But see, when you really read what Paul's saying here, you know what? If they want to enjoy a cigar, let them enjoy a cigar. God is not going to fall off his throne by that. But here's where we come again to the nitty-gritty. See, you know if you're trying to get away with something. It's like in the old days when we did teach after I got saved to the ministry teen challenge and we began to deal with young people who were an issue with drugs. And the classic statement about marijuana was marijuana is no big deal. You know, why, why all the problems? You know, marijuana is no big deal. And I used to agree with them. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Marijuana in and of itself isn't any big deal. It won't kill you. But you know what will kill you? That attitude. The attitude of it's no big deal. I can do it if I want to. Because that attitude leads you into more and more falling away from the things of God. That's what Christ's Spirit is trying to always quicken to you. Check your attitude towards others, towards yourself, towards life. I think I'll smoke a cigar. <laughs> you see, only you know if there's a freedom there to do it without any conviction. I remind you again what he's going to finish with here. Whatsoever is not done with the conviction of its approval by God is sent to you. And see, you're the only one that can answer that statement. We'll read that in a moment. Let me keep going. I want to read it again, verse 20. You must not, for the sake of food, undo and break down and destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed ceremonially clean and pure, but it is wrong for anyone to hurt the conscious 
conscience of others or to make them fall by what you eat. Listen to what he says in verse 21. The right thing. Everybody say, the right thing. Sometimes you do the right thing, not because you feel like it, but because it's the right thing to do. And listen to what he says here, that what he calls the right thing. The right thing is to eat no meat or drink no wine. Uh-oh. Sorry, Brits. Sorry, all you Brits. The right thing is to eat no meat or drink no wine at all or do anything else if it makes your brother stumble or hurts his conscience or offends or weakens him. And again, think about the responsibility that's being put on us because it's so easy to say, well, I don't know why I should have to guard myself this carefully. I mean, after all, I, you know, my family and I, we're, we're have no problem, say, drinking a glass of wine. But like I said about my culture when I first came out of it, that made a statement to me about having a lesser degree of spirituality, I'm sad to say, but that's, that's what it was. But see, I didn't have the knowledge that I do now. I don't judge people because they drink wine. I, don't, I do my best not to judge anybody about anything because I discovered God's my judge and I'm busy judging myself. <laughs> I'm trying to, anyhow. But listen, when he says the right thing, think about that. Do you want to do the right thing? Or do you own your own life? Remember, you're not your own. You are not your own. You do not belong to you like many of you think you do. You belong to Christ. You've been paid for, purchased with his blood. You have been redeemed into his family. You're, you belong to him. And you know what? Because we belong to him, he gets to say to us whatever he wants to. But this is where we're going to thank God he's love, and he'll never ask us to do anything for our harm. Anything and everything he speaks to us, instructs us, commands us to do is for our good. You've got to catch that. The right thing is to eat no meat or drink no wine at all or do anything else if it makes your brother stumble or hurts his conscience or offends or weakens him. In other words, I have to learn how to become aware, as it were, not freaked out, not made troubled to the point, and I know what some of you are thinking, but I mean, I just need to be aware of my surroundings. I need to be aware of the culture that I'm sitting in when I'm with other people. I need to be aware that they may have convictions that are far different from mine. And my job is not to overwhelm them with my great spirituality. My job is to accept them, be like Jesus, and not judge them because of meat or wine or anything else. And then he goes on and then he finishes the chapter with this. Your personal, and this is what I mean, you got to catch this. Your personal conviction, your personal convictions, in other words, what you really believe, what you believe, because, you know, you whatever, this is where you're at. Your personal convictions on such matters, exercise them as in God's presence, keeping them to yourself, striving only to know the truth. In other words, don't just accept that that's the way it is and going to be forever. Keep looking deeper into the life of Jesus Christ, into the presence of God and what makes his presence stronger in your life or lesser in your life. Always strive to know that. In other words, I'm free right now to do this, but you know what? I'm going to keep my spiritual antenna up. I'm going to be sensitive to the Spirit of God because if he tells me to stop this, I'm going to stop it. Your personal convictions on such matters, exercise them as in God's presence, 
keeping them to yourself, striving only to know the truth and obey his will. Blessed, happy to be envied is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. In other words, you're blessed, it says, who does not convict himself by what he chooses to do. And this is, again, where it comes down to your spirit. On, you know, face answers face like to, to water, you know, that verse. Only you know your own heart. You know your own heart. And this comes down to this last verse that we'll read. But the man who has doubts, misgivings, an uneasy conscience about eating. In other words, I don't know if I should eat this or not. See, people often, when it comes to counseling, this became a real boon to me because people would come and say, you know, I'm, I don't know if I should do this or not. Um, different things, you know, whether it be between spouses or between their children or whatever. And I always came down to this and said, you know, this is the issue. If you have a question about it at the moment, then don't do it because you're not in faith. You do not have a conviction of God's approval on it. But here again is why I say, see, you got to be wary because you can just talk yourself into anything. I can do anything I want. Like Paul said, I'm persuaded nothing is unclean of itself. Can you imagine being able to, I'm persuaded, he said, nothing's unclean of itself. However, however, it is unclean to him who esteems it as unclean. And therefore, I need to respect their convictions over mine. That's what Jesus did. We've been talking about it. We, Jesus Christ esteemed others more than himself. But the man who has doubts, misgivings, and uneasy conscience about eating, and then eats perhaps because of you, in other words, does something that you have freedom to do, but he doesn't. That person stands condemned before God because he is not true to his convictions and he does not act from faith. For whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. Whatever, whatever is done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. Wow. You cannot enter into judgment about anybody. The weak believer, those who maybe are younger than you and the Lord, make sure that you love them like Jesus loved them. Care for them. Nurse them along. They may have, another part's going to say that people have very tender scruples. In other words, they're always looking for everything. And I'll tell you another story about that in another message. But I'm just saying, catch this so for yourself. And catch this and understand this is how it is for others. If it's a violation, if they're not convicted of this, then it's sin to them. And the responsibility, again, it blows my mind, but it's true. It falls on me. I'm responsible to be a blessing to you. And you are to the ones you're around. My job is not to overwhelm you with my great information and revelation and where I'm at with Christ. My job is to speak and teach the Word of God that perhaps you'll acknowledge it as the truth of God and that you'll grow from it. But catch this. Let's make sure we truly understand what it means when Paul said, live in harmony with one another. Because again, what it opens, the doors that are open, the sense of the grace and the presence of God because so much stronger when we carry this attitude within our spirit of love and acceptance of one another. Amen. I'm going to stop right here because there's just too much to go into. We'll go into another meeting.
Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that your spirit brings us deep into the spirit of each of the listeners to this message. That they will hear that it is you and you alone that we live to, not to one another per se. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. But Father, thank you that you've told us to walk circumspectly before you and to esteem others more than we esteem ourselves. Esteem others' opinions and not just try to force them into thinking they need to think like we think. Father, I give you praise for our people in Jesus' name. Amen.